Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. Hey, church. What's up? You guys doing great? Hey, um, we are so, so glad you are here today. Today is really a landmark Sunday. What I mean by that is we are stepping out of the Old Testament today. We're finishing up the Old Testament, and then we're stepping into the New Testament next week, which means, by the way, next Sunday is Christmas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're having Christmas in September. We're going to be singing Christmas music next week. And we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. It is going to be awesome. Yeah. Come on, just think about it for a moment. Imagine celebrating Christmas without all the stress of shopping. Oh, I just felt a peace just fall over the place. Imagine celebrating Christmas without your crazy uncle coming over home, coming over and spending the holidays with you. Imagine celebrating Christmas without having to go to the mall or to-do lists or cooking. We are going to do it. And then we're going to go for an entire, I don't know, I guess it's from, it's from next Sunday all the way to Thanksgiving. We are going to read the New Testament. From Matthew to Revelation. Revelation. <laughs> Y'all got it now. Not Revelations. Um, and you want to know where we're going after that? You want to know where we're going? You want to know where we're going for the rest of the year? Okay, after that, we're going to go to a Christmas series called Home for Christmas. Then we're going to do a New Year's series called New Beginnings. New Beginnings. We're going to talk about allowing God to give us a new beginning and a new year and, and all of that good stuff. And then in February, sweet February, Valentine month, we're going to do a series on marriage. To which the single people are pulling out their calendar now going, well, I'll miss church that month. No! No, 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 no. I love teaching on marriage. One of the reasons I love teaching on marriage is because there's so much good stuff to cover. Right? The other reason reason I love teaching on marriage is because I surely don't have it figured out. But also, I love teaching on marriage because if you are a single person, I speak specifically to you. I talk to you about being single because those of us who have gotten into this thing, we have a word or two for you. And so does the Bible. And so that's where we're going, and uh, we are excited. I'm so glad you are here today. Come on, can you welcome all 10 campuses? Come on, welcome. We love you guys at all of our campus locations. We are glad that you are here today. Okay, so right now in this part of Scripture, Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, there are three different building projects going on. Three different building projects. Take out your teaching notes. Let me hear the clicks of that binder. Come on. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Throw those teaching notes into your binder. And let's go get this today. There are how many building projects? Three. Check it out. Ezra is rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And God, oh God, is building the lives of his people. Now stick with me here for a moment. Take a few notes in terms of context. About 50 years after the first wave of Israelites had returned to Jerusalem and built the temple, 
Artaxerxes. Everybody say Artaxerxes. Now, if you're great with child, that's not the best name to name your child. But I guess it could be worse. I mean, you could call him Artaxerxes and just call him Art for short. Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, makes an important decision. He sends a Jewish priest by the name of Ezra, who had been living in Persia, to Jerusalem. The king sends a priest. Now, just stick with me here. You should know this if you're reading the story. This is a pagan king. This is a pagan nation who sends a priest back to Jerusalem because somewhere or another, I have a hunch that he knew that if God's people, Israel, who he had heard about and probably feared Almighty God, he knew that if God's people, if they were going to leave captivity, go back to Jerusalem and be God's people again, the king knew that they needed to build their lives upon the word of God. There was no one more qualified to understand the law and to develop policy according to the law than Ezra. And Artaxerxes knew that. And if you've been reading the story with me, and if you're a guest here, by the way, we're in the middle of the story. We're studying Genesis all the way through Revelation. But this is a powerful lesson for me. Think about where we've been. Daniel, Mordecai, Esther, these lives have greatly impacted a pagan king. Which gives me a chance to say this. If you are a young person here, I see a lot of young people. What's up, balcony? How we doing? Y'all think I can't see y'all up there. I can see y'all are so clear up there. I can see everything. I can see everyone up there. I see young people up there. Look, I see young people. If you are a young person here today, listen to me. Don't ever underestimate the power that you have in a faithful Steady witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a young person, don't ever underestimate the power of your witness to your parents and to older people. I used to be a student pastor. You might not know that. I used to be a student pastor. One of the things I used to love to do is to get students so fired up for the gospel of Jesus Christ that they would go back into their home and jack their family up. Seriously, I saw young people go into their homes where their parents never went to church. And the parents didn't even believe in the gospel. And we would have students go back into the home and through their faithful, steadfast witness of the gospel, they would influence parents, teachers, principals. It reminds me of this great verse of scripture that you can find in the New Testament. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are, but set an example for the believers in, 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 and in. Oh, man, young person. God wants to use you right where you are to influence and impact people who have lived longer than you. Can I get an amen, church? That's good stuff for the young people. You have a great witness and a great ministry right where you are in your short years of life. Now, if you go to uh, Ezra, just go ahead and open up in your storybooks to page 291 and 292. Ezra relocates to Jerusalem and spends the rest of his life teaching the law of God to God's people. Now, when you see the law of God in the Old Testament... You just need to consider that the word of God. The law of God, the word of God. They're used interchangeably 
in the Old Testament. Now this is key. Write this down before we get into the heart of the message today. Without the word of God, the temple, God's house, and the wall doesn't make a difference. Did you hear me? Without the what? Without the word of God, the temple, God's house, and the wall doesn't make a difference. This is critical because in the book of Haggai, the Bible tells us that the story of the temple being rebuilt and the book of Nehemiah tells us of the wall around Jerusalem being built. But again, without the word, it's all for nothing. Read this out loud with me. It starts with the temple. Ready? Go. The temple and the wall won't really matter unless the word of God is placed at the center of the people's lives. Oh, you guys are with me today. The house of God and the word of God for the people of God is something that we talk about here at New Hope, but it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Again, the temple and the wall, they won't really matter. Unless the word of God was planted in the center of their lives. Hear me, hear me. Your life really only takes on profound eternal significance when the word of God is placed in the center of your life. I don't know if y'all know this, but when we built this building in 2009, not our recent building expansion, in 2009, I walked in here one day and, and none of this was here. It was just poles on the ground with strings and it was dirt and they had the concrete trucks. Some of you might not even know this. They were getting ready to lay the concrete slab for the floor that you're sitting on right now. And they were getting ready to pour the concrete. I said, oh, time out, time out. They're like, who is this crazy guy? I said, hold tight. And I ran, literally, and I got the biggest Bible I could find. And I planted it right here under this nook, this teaching platform. I laid it on the ground and I opened it up to my favorite passage, Luke chapter 15. Or the prodigal son comes home. And then I said, all right, now y'all can pour it. And I stood back and I watched them pour the concrete slab that you're sitting on right now. And the reason I did this to all the campuses is because I wanted to make sure that we never forgot that this church, come on, is founded and grounded on nothing less than the word of God. I wanted... I wanted the church, I wanted the community, I wanted the churches and the campuses, television, computer, internet. I wanted it all to know that unless we built this thing on the rock solid, eternal truths of God's word, it was all for naught. This is a church that believes the Bible is the inspired Word of God. May I get an amen? amen? Everybody write this down, Ezra. I want you to know what the word Ezra means. Should be in your teaching notes. Maybe, maybe not. Ezra means literally the Lord helps. It means what? Ezra means the Lord helps. Now, again, page 291, 292. Ezra chapter 7, if you've got a Bible or a phone or a tablet, whatever you want to use. But in Ezra... Chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. Look at what the Word of God says. During the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Syria. Oh, by the way, if you're pregnant again and you're looking for names for your child, right here, right here. 
I don't even know. I think the production team didn't even put this on the screen, but I'm going to read them for you. Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalem, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zechariah, or Zariah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai. Bukai, that'd be a good one. Hey, Bukai! Where'd Bukai go? The son of Abishah, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, and the chief priest. And, th and then they just picked up right here, Ezra. <laughs> you got to love these production folks. I love it. Now we'll pick up. Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked. Listen, underline this. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. What was on him? The hand of the Lord his God. Some of the Israelites, including the priests, Levites, musicians, the artists with skinny jeans and v-neck shirts. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not in there. Gatekeepers, temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Let's continue. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. Now listen closely to the timing of this. This is something that you would breeze right over, but I'm going to slow down and try to teach you something today that you wouldn't see first blush in the passage. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month. First day of the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Notice in that one passage, the Bible says twice. And by the way, you need to learn to, to really pay close attention to those things that the Bible repeats. The Bible says twice in that passage that the hand of the Lord was on him. How many of you have heard this saying before? How many of you have heard this saying you're doing something, man, maybe you're in the garage, you're working on a project, or maybe you're out in the yard, or ladies, you're wherever, and your kids are around. Have you ever said this, hey, give me a hand? Give me a hand? The hand of the almighty Lord of the universe was upon Ezra. I want you to know something today that God can put his hand on your life, but God can take his hand off your life. Come on, come on, stick with me here for a moment. Don't confuse the hand of the Lord with the heart of the Lord. Don't confuse it. God's heart will never leave you. God loves you. God adores you. As my good friend Max Licato would say, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. His heart will never leave you. He loves you, but God's hand can leave your life. And God can put his hand on your life. Remember Romans 1? I talked to you about it a few months ago. God kind of turned them over. There comes a point in time where God, though his heart, stick with me, will never leave you. He can pull his hand of favor off of you. Come on, come on, look, look at these hands. See these hands? See these hands? Nothing special about them, but, but check this out. Just, just follow me here for a moment. With these hands, 
I have hugged, I have caressed, I have adored, I have wiped tears. I have used these hands to love all five of my children. But with these hands, I have also spanked <laughs> every single one of my children. To which some of you are going, I don't think you should spank your children. It's all good, man. You can believe that if you want. <laughs> you can, it's, your, it's your child. I, I'm not going to tell you how to parent your child, okay? But we've spanked our children. Now, if you've followed or you listen to Amy Lynn and I teach anything on parenting, we've taught this here before. If you do it the right way and you follow the scripture and the scripture says that you can spank your child, if you do it the right way, all of the times that this hand has been used to spank my children, by and large, has been when they are very, very small. If you do it right and you discipline a child early on and you show them that you say what you mean, hello, and you mean what you say, you don't have to spank your children later in life. Some of you are like, dang, I wish I'd have heard that a long time ago. <laughs> I know, I know. But, but stick with me. God's the ultimate heavenly parent. And God's heart, like when I would spank my children, it broke my heart every single time. Whenever I would spank my children, my heart never left them. My heart never left them. In fact, my heart extended out more towards them. God's heart will never, ever leave you. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. God loves you. His heart is always for you. But his hand can be taken off your life like that. So Ezra reminds us of two things. And then we can learn about the hand of the Lord Two things. Let me walk you through the heart of where we're going today. Number one, write it down in your teaching notes. Ezra reminds us, when the hand of the Lord is on someone, there can be sufficiency. Hello. When the hand of the Lord is on someone, there can be sufficiently sufficiency. Look at verse 6 again. Out loud, really strong. Ready? Go. The king had granted him everything he asked for the. That's sufficiency, good people. Come on, come on, stick with me. How many of you would like to have sufficiency in your life? Come on, right? Let me see a show of hands. How many balcony? I'm, I'm not leaving you. How many? How many of you would love to have sufficiency in your life? Just all sufficiency, right? 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 Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're still mad at me for spanking my children, or you're. <laughs> Or you're all asleep. Like, I, I put up both hands. I, I want the sufficiency of God in my life. Don't you desire the sufficiency? Here, here's how you get sufficiency in your life. You learn and you live the Word of God. You learn and you live the Word of God. Paul would talk about sufficiency in 2 Corinthians, come on, let's read it out loud together. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, on the count of three. One, two, three. But he said to me, my grace is, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me, on me. Don't you want sufficiency? Ezra reminds us of the importance of sufficiency. Here's the second thing I would tell you today that this powerful book reminds us. Ezra reminds us when the hand of the Lord is upon someone, there can be efficiency. Mm. What's the first thing? When the hand of the Lord is upon somebody, there can be what? Sufficiency. But Ezra reminds us also when the hand of the Lord is on someone, there can be efficiency. To which you might say, where, where do you get that from? Great question. This is that thing I said earlier that you could read this passage of Scripture and you could just go right past this and not understand exactly what I'm going to try my best to teach you right now. Ezra 7, 7 through 9. Listen again. Some of the Israelites, including the priests, Levites, singers with their skinny jeans, gatekeepers, temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. In what month? In the fifth month. Let's continue. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. Here it is again. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. How long did it take him to get from Babylon to Jerusalem? Four months. From Babylon to Jerusalem, as the crow flies, if you've heard that saying, straight line, is 500 miles. However, you can't walk from Babylon to Jerusalem in a straight line. You have to navigate around the Euphrates River. How many of you have ever walked along the side of a river? Okay, that's what I thought. Those of you who didn't raise your hand today, for the love of God, go find a river somewhere. You, some, of you, some of you city folk, you need to get out more. All right, right? So <laughs> rivers and water, they don't, they don't flow in a straight line. Right? So if it's 500 miles as the crow flies, but as you make your way, and I've been over there, and this is why you wouldn't know this unless you know the geography or unless you've been over there, it's really about 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Stick with me. Moreover, if you look at when they said that he traveled with that great group of God's people, it was the springtime. In the springtime was when they had battles and wars and armies. Most scholars agree, and I would agree from being over there, that to make your way from Babylon to Jerusalem would take a minimum of one year. How long did it take, Ezra? Do you see what I'm saying? When the hand of the Lord is upon you, there is not only sufficiency, there is efficiency. Come on, how many of you would like to do stuff at a pace whereby you look at most people and it might take six months, but because of the hand of the Lord upon you, you get it done in three months? Come on, come on. How many of you would like to take on projects in your life that might usually take a normal person a year, but due to the favor of Almighty God and the hand of the Lord upon you, you get it done in four months. 
How many of you have seen people? We've all seen these kind of people, have we not? You've seen people who they just, they just seem to do unbelievable things at an unbelievable pace. They go faster and further than any of us. And you, you just wonder why. You look at them, you go, oh, they, 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 they're just more talented than me. They, just, they're, they're, they, they, they look better than I do. They, they came from the right family. They were born on the right side of the tracks. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe, just maybe, they had the hand of favor and the hand of God on their lives. And the same hand of God can fall on your life if your life is grounded in the Word of God. Now, see, I would be so remiss if I didn't talk just for a moment. I'm just going to tip my toe in it and I'm going to move on. But I would be so remiss if I didn't talk to you about finances. Come on. Some of you have heard me say this before. That Amy Lynn and I have discovered that we can live better on 90% of our income with the hand of God on our lives than we can live. I wasn't doing that for you to clap. I was talking about the hand of God on my life. But thank you anyway. I love it when you go there. But let me go back. I, we can live better on 90% of our income with the hand of favor resting on our lives than we could ever live on 100% of our income with God's hand withdrawn from our life. Oh, I'm tracking with some of you. Others of you are like, what do you mean? You're new to the church. You're new to the faith. There's a principle in the Bible called tithing. Tithing. T-I-T-H-I-N. Goes from the Old Testament into the New Testament. The principle is that whatever God gives me in terms of my income stream... I'm going to take 10% right off the top, and I'm going to give it back to the Lord. In fact, I'm going to return it to God. Malachi, go read the next book right before we get to the New Testament, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi says, return to me. Why does the Bible say return? Because it doesn't belong to you in the first place. Hello. What you own doesn't belong to you. And the Bible says return 10%. That's the tithe. And what I have discovered in many cases, hear me. The hard way. I've discovered the hard way that with the hand of God withdrawn from my life, I can't do nearly as much with 100% as I can with 10% if I have the hand of God, God's favor resting on my life. So I'm looking at a bunch of people that the statistics are right. A large percentage of you struggle with finances. I know you do. And I've always said this at the church. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And here's what I want for you. I want you to understand the joy and the freedom of honoring God with your finances. And you too will see if the hand of God is on me, I can do more with 90% than I ever could with 100% if he took his hand off of my life. Let's go. The hand of the Lord is with us. Told you I want to tell you two things that Ezra reminds us. Now I'm going to end with two things that the hand of the Lord teaches us. The hand of the Lord is with us when we are, oh my word, taking in the word of the Lord. Write it in. Taking in the word of the Lord. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. Out of the New Revised Version. Read it out loud with me. You ready? Go. For the gracious hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to, and to, and ordinances in Israel. 
The Bible says in verse 10 that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. I have a hunch. One of the reasons God's hand was on him was because Ezra had gotten the word of God in him. Write this down. God's hand on Ezra had something to do with God's word being in Ezra. Oh my. Ezra was committed to taking in the word of God. Which, which causes me to ask you this question. How are you taking in the word of God? It's a serious question. Just let it hang out there in the air for a moment. Well, number one, I could say this. You're doing a pretty good job because you're in church today. Well done. I mean, there are a lot of things you could have been doing today. But you chose, and at all of our campuses, you chose to come to the house of God to hear the word of God for the people of God. I commend you. Well done. So let's take it a layer or two deeper. How are you doing with taking in the word of God on a daily basis? How are you taking that word in? Because Ezra tells us, the Bible tells us that the hand of the Lord was on him because he was, here it is, taking in the word of God. Here's the second thing. This will change your life, church. The hand of the Lord is with us when we are walking out the word of the Lord. So first of all, the hand of the Lord is with us when we are taking in. Everybody say taking in. We are taking in the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is with us when we are walking out the word of the Lord. Look at verse 10, chapter 7. We just keep coming right back. To these few verses on three. One, two, three. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to, and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. He just didn't stop at studying the word. He committed to doing the word. See, church... If I could just be honest with you, I think this is one of the greatest problems in America today. In the American church, I should say. I believe Christians have this tendency to study the Word of God, and we just want to learn, 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 learn. We love knowledge. We love to learn. And if you picture a stick figure up here, imagine me as a stick figure, right? And picture my head like a balloon being puffed up. We learn, 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 and our heads get bigger and bigger and bigger, but our bodies get smaller and smaller and smaller because we don't do anything with that which we learn. I'm talking to you about obedience. I'm talking to you about being a people who not only study the Word of God, but do the Word of God. Ezra studied it, did it, and then taught it. Everybody say, study it. Study. Everybody say, do it. Study. Everybody say, teach it. Teach. One more time. Study it. Study. Do it. Study. Teach it. Now, if you just step back and look at the context of the Bible, with where we've been the last few weeks and where we are today, there is unbelievable parallels between what took place in ancient Israel and what has taken place in America today. 
God's people were given the word of God. They neglected the word of God. God took his hand off of them and they found themselves in captivity in a pagan nation under a pagan king. Oh my Lord, the parallels I could draw between America and ancient Israel. And I'm wondering if I should. This is what y'all do to me. Y'all get me in trouble. The case can be made that as a nation, we've left God. We've left the Word of God. We've pulled the Word of God and prayer out of schools. We've turned our back from God. And the case could be made that maybe, I'm just saying, I'm just asking the question, maybe the condition under which we find ourselves in the United States of America is a direct result of the way in which we've said, God, we don't care about your word, forget you. And God has basically said, like Burger King, have it your way. And... And you look at our current political reality. And the case could be made, or at least the question asked, could it be that we have found ourselves in a pagan nation with two candidates with two candidates that are as far from following God as any candidates I've ever seen in this great. Now you might be a Hillary fan. God bless you. I'm not going to, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. What you do, who you vote for is your decision. And we're starting a series next week called Jesus for President. Pray for me over the course of the next month. Because I'm going to be talking about some stuff up in here. But I will never tell you who to vote for. And I'm not judging them. Please hear my heart. I I need to just pause for you. Please hear my heart. You know what you're seeing right now? You're seeing a man before your very eyes who is struggling. With the fact, if that's the best two candidates we have, like I said, you might be a Hillary fan. God bless you. You might be a Trump fan. God bless you. And you want to build a huge wall. (laughs) And today, in your twisted mind, you've heard me talk about Nehemiah and a wall. And you're like, see, they had a wall. We need a wall. (laughs) Trump, wall. (laughs) you might be a Trump fan and I'm not going to tell you who to vote for but I again just hear my heart I look at where the United States has landed in the 21st century and I look at what happened to ancient Israel a thousand years prior to the New Testament 
where God took his hand off of them and allowed them to end up in a pagan nation under pagan kingships. And the parallels for me are unbelievable with where we find ourselves as the United States of America with two candidates for which, and I'm just going to share this with you. Like I, you, Some of you are going to send me an email about this. Like I don't even know if I'm going to be able to vote for either of them. To which you're, you're going to send me an email, I know. You should vote. It's our, it's our duty. We have to vote. It's our duty. If you don't vote, you can't say anything. Send your email address to this address. You ready? Benji at IAlreadyKnowThat.com. So if I don't vote, I'm not going to say anything, all right? And I know we should vote. I know we should vote. And I want to vote, and I probably will vote for Fran Helpingstein right here. <laughs> She's been with me forever, one of my best friends on the planet. I vote for you, Fran. Where was I? I done gotten all off track. Can I, can I come on back here to the table? What I'm, what I'm saying to you today, let's get back to us and God and the church and who we're called to be. If you want the hand of the Lord upon you, you have to take in the word of the Lord and you have to walk out the word of the Lord. The church has forever been guilty of men and women who are really good at taking in the word of the Lord. Their heads get big, but they don't live out the word of God. That is called a hypocrite. You've all heard it before. I know it's old school. If you're going to talk the talk, you better. If you want the hand of God on your life, then you've got to take in the word of God. And you got to walk out the Word of God. Here's two questions that you should ask yourself every time you read a passage of Scripture. You ready? You ought to write this down, put it, put it on a sticky pad, and maybe put it, uh, just as you turn the New Testament this week, take that sticky pad and, and that, that note and put it on the page. Here it is. What is God saying to me? Read the Bible. As if it is a love letter, listen, listen, to you, to you. Don't, don't read the Bible and say, well, what, what, what's this saying for my wife? <laughs> Have you ever met people who, who they love to find a verse and then they love to come tell you, hey, I found a verse for you. <laughs> I got an idea. Why don't you stick that verse in your mouth? Right? Why, why you want somebody to come tell you? No, no. Read the Bible as if it is a word to you. How many of you have always went to your wife or your husband? Honey, I found a verse for you. Look, this is for you. But nobody wants you to do that. Ask yourself this question. What is God saying to me? Make it personal. Again, read the Bible as if it was a love letter to you. But here, we stop there. We stop there. So many of us stop there. And when you stop there, you thwart the hand of God from falling on your life. Here's the next question you have to ask. What am I going to do about it? What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Listen to me, church. I'm talking about obedience. 
I'm talking about holiness. I think sometimes the church today has gotten so cool, right? So hip, so contemporary, so all of that that I love, by the way. That's why we started this church. That we've forgotten, though, that we are to be a people in the world but not of the world. We have forgotten that if this is God's word, which I firmly believe it is, then not only do I need to read it and study it and learn it, I need to live it. And what I'm about to teach you right now as I wrap up today will absolutely revolutionize your life. Understanding, write this down, comes from obedience. You've never heard that. You thought understanding comes from just learning something. Just reading something. College students, welcome back from college, by the way. You, 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 think, you think understanding just comes from sitting in a lecture hall. It might in a lecture hall, but it doesn't work that way in God's economy. Understanding comes from, what's the word? When I first became a Christian, a woman by the name of Tammy Howell gave me a book by Oswald Chambers. I think it was titled something like, My Utmost for His Highest. One of the most powerful quotes of Oswald Chambers I'm about to share with you. Don't miss a drop of it. It's a long quote, but you're going to love it. All God's revelations are sealed until they are opened to us by obedience. You will never get them open by philosophy or thinking. Immediately you obey. Listen, listen, listen. This is so good. Immediately you obey and a flash of light comes. Let God's truth work in you by soaking it in. Or soaking in it. Not by worrying into it. The only way you can get to know is to stop trying to find out. Hello. Obey God in the things he shows you. Probably the, the most important paragraph I'm going to read to you right now. Obey God in the things he shows you. And instantly, the next thing is opened up. One reads volumes on the work of the Holy Spirit. When five minutes of drastic obedience would make things as clear as a sunbeam. I suppose I shall understand these things someday. You can understand them now, church. It is not study that does it, but what? The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens and the profoundest truths of God are yours straight way. Some of you have never been able to keep going deeper in the word of God. In the knowledge of God. Because you've stopped at reading the word of God. If you want to tap in to the understanding of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, as soon as you read a word from God in the Holy Scriptures, do it. Act on it. 
follow his instruction and his guidance. And I can't fully explain it. I'm not going to act like I can. I can't fully explain it. But when I step out in faith and I obey, what was the song, the old hymn? Trust and some might say that you really only trust hello when you obey. And the moment that I, with the Holy Spirit infused in my life, I not only trust, I not only learn, I not only read, but I take a step of faith and I obey. Then God takes me to the next level. And to the extent to which I keep obeying Him is the extent to which I am able to understand the ways and the wisdom of God. Understanding comes from obedience. Final comment, transformation comes from obedience. Understanding Understanding the ways of God, the will of God, the wisdom of God comes through obedience. Transformation, where this old boy starts to become a little bit more like Jesus. And you start to become a little bit more like Jesus. You start to become a little bit more like the person God has destined you to be. That comes not through reading. It comes through obedience. How many of you, um, I had this thought this week. How many of you have got your teaching notes when you walked in? Some of you have them already in the binder, right? Hold them up, hold them up, come on. Wave them around, kind of, it's hot up here under the lights. It's always so hot up here under the lights. Oh, that feels good. Aren't they so cute, teaching notes? I put a lot of work in these, I really do. I either take my message and I prepare the teaching notes and I send it to the front office or I send my message to the front office and they prepare the teaching notes. A lot of time goes into this. Look at I me. Mean, they put them on there. They lined them. Then they punch little holes for you. They're so sweet. Teaching notes. I had this thought this week. This won't change your life. Now, dude, I love when you take notes. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really disappointed if I'm up here teaching and none of you are taking notes. I never go to anybody who speaks into my life without a pad of paper and a pen. I am a ferocious note taker. I love taking notes. You should take notes. Don't read any of this the wrong way, but guess what? If all you do is take notes, you're never going to experience true life change. The question is, what do you do with the notes you take? I had this thought too. This is humbling. I think I'm going to retire after today. Sermons don't change your life. Sermon doesn't change your life. A sermon, a good sermon, good book, reading the Bible, taking notes, those things don't change your life. They spur you on to change your life. For the golf fans in the house, they tee it up as it were. They tee it up for you to change your life. 
But you don't change your life by taking notes. Listen to me. You change your life. Those of you who are sitting in front of a television someday and you're eating Doritos right now on a couch or you're in front of a computer somewhere, this is not going to change your life. What is going to change your life is when you and all of you and me, we get off of our rear ends and we actually do something with that which we have learned. That is what changes your life. It's when you get up and you walk out of those doors at all of our campus locations and you apply that which you've learned. You obey God's Word. To which some of you are like, all right, all right, how do I apply it today? What do I do? It's a great question because that's what you should ask every Sunday. Here's your application today. I'll make this so fast. If you're new here and you don't have a storybook and you're like, I think I want to go to that church. At all of our campus locations today, we have book sale resource centers set up in the middle of our rotunda for you to go buy a storybook. We're studying this. We're stepping into the New Testament next Sunday. Merry Christmas. We're singing Christmas music up in here next week. Go get a book. If you already have a book, buy two or three books. And give them to your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your colleagues. Take the, I just had an idea. Take this mailer that we gave you on the way in. Stick it in a book and give it to someone. It could make an eternal difference in their lives. But if you don't have a book, go buy one, two, or three today. Here's the second thing. Buy a three-ring binder. You take notes between now and Thanksgiving, you will have a notebook full of notes on the entire New Testament. Bucket list, baby. It'll change your life. Buy a three-ring binder. Number three, read a chapter of this book a week and obey the Word of God. Don't just read it. Obey it. Four, Come to church every single weekend between now and Thanksgiving with storybook in hand, with binder in hand, having read the chapter so that you can receive it when I preach it and apply it and obey it. Here's the point. Here's the point of all this. You do that. Oh, my Lord, I got everybody's attention. I love it. You do that. And the hand of God will fall upon your life and God will change you the favor of God will fall upon your life and we'll go into the holiday season radically changed by the word and our obedience of God's word in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit if you receive it let me hear an amen and a sign off to our campuses. We love you guys. I'm going to turn it back over to your campus pastors. You are in great hands. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. 
We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast. And thanks for being a part of our church family.